Hello everyone, welcome to the Fight or Flight podcast. My name is Lanre. In this episode, I'm going to be covering some of the major topics from UFC 261, uh, Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal 2. Uh, once that's done, I'm also going to give you a few thoughts on everybody's favorite troll, Jake Paul, as well as talk about John Jones and some updates with him. I'm going to start off with the main event from UFC 261, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh, this was the rematch to the fight from Fight Island that happened last year. Heading into the previous fight, there was obviously, it was initially scheduled for Kamara versus Gilbert Burns. Uh, Gilbert gets COVID and is unable to fight. And so Jorge steps in with six days notice. You know, a lot was made of six days. And, you know, as much as people might say he was already training and all of that you know i think it's it's totally different ball game when you're preparing for somebody versus when you think that it's coming down the line but you're not sure right 6 days is not enough time so coming into this fight that narrative was still being established of you know see what he did in in 6 days notice give him a little more time and he's even going to be able to do much more than previously right so Coming into that, that was the narrative. The other narrative predominantly was also, you know, and, and and I saw this too to an extent, was the only way Usman can win this fight is if he's able to, you know, take it over five rounds, wrestle Jorge, tire him, tire him out. Um, even if he was going to get a finish, you thought the finish would probably be, you know, like a wrestling finish, like a submission, having him on the ground, Maybe you know a choke or something of that of that nature, um, not necessarily a knockout. And so, what happens? What happened in that fight was extremely surprising to a lot of people. Again, it's not to say that Kamaru is incapable of knocking someone out. That's not the case at all. You know, I mean, we just saw him knock out um, or finish. Uh, Gilbert Burns in his last fight and Colby Covington before that. But it's just that we hadn't seen anybody do that to Jorge Masvidal. And this is somebody who's been in over 50 fights, you know. So you, I think that's part of what was really surprising, right? So And especially because of the type of fighter that Jorge is, you don't necessarily want to stand up with him for too long. Or at least that was the narrative going into the fight. Again, um, I thought the performance was flawless, you know, I've watched it a couple of times since since um, the initial fight on Saturday. And a lot of what he did in that fight, you know, you could tell just by rewatching it or maybe even in real time, I didn't notice it as much. But you could, you when I rewatched it, one of the things I noticed is there were a lot of fakes, a lot of fainting from Kamara, you know, constantly fainting, you know, fainting the level change fainting the punches and he started off with a jab to the body you know he really worked in the jab to the body in fact if you watch the fight again at the end of the first round they go to dean thomas who's like the resident coach you know on the commentary team for you know just his thoughts because normally that that role is usually trevor whitman who was obviously 
coaching the fight, so he wasn't there. So they go to Dean Thomas, and Dean Thomas mentions it. He says, you know, Kamaru is investing in that jab to the body. Um, he can then come with a power right off of the fakes. And would you know it, that's that's exactly what happens in the second round. Um, you know, the fight goes the first round, and then the first round, at the end of the first round, I felt like both parties could feel pretty good. I thought Kamaru seemed to win some of the clean shot exchanges. So, you know, who was hitting who cleanly. And you could see a lot of Jorge showing, you know, that the, oh, smiling after getting punched to let, let you know that it didn't really hurt, even though it hurts. Um, there was a lot of that. Um, he wrestled, but he wrestled off of uh, um, a Ho- uh, Jorge knee you know he didn't he wasn't super aggressive initially about initiating the wrestling exchanges there was a a a period where Jorge tried to go through the center with a flying knee and he missed and you could see right away Kamaru go for the body lock and and take him down straight away and and Jorge was able to do well to you know crawl his way back up um and after those exchanges, he you know he came forward a little more towards the end of the round. I think there was a visual that maybe made people feel like they were watching uh, an, a previous version of Kamaru. There's a shot where he, at the end of the first round, he's swinging punches wildly, missing wildly. And I always remember looking at that at the time. I think to myself, bro, you're gonna tie yourself out if you're doing that, and it just looks bad. You know, so at the end of the first round, I, I gave it to Kamaru. Um, I thought, you know, Jorge had his moments in that first round. And I and I thought Masvidal would be able to do, you know, a decent job from there on. Like, I, I, I thought it would be competitive at the end of the first. But I did like what I was seeing from Kamaru. And it reminded me, gave me the feeling of almost watching um, a Khabib fight where sometimes Khabib will wait before he initiates the wrestling exchanges and you're watching it just kind of nervous like, oh, buddy, you know, are you going to do this standing thing or are you going to go? And and a lot of times you forget that these fighters, especially these high-level top fighters, they believe, this, the, the self-belief they have, it's not just, oh, I'm good at wrestling. It's that I'm good at everything. I'm a mixed martial artist. And that's what Kamara showed in this fight. That's what Usman was showing. You know, he could have gone for the wrestling exchanges and done that over five rounds. But he was, and when you watch the fight again, you see it. Because you realize he wasn't initiating a lot of clinch situations. You know, he was reacting. You know, a lot of times, Masvidal would, you know, go for those kicks, those body kicks, the flying knees, those type of things. And then he would wrestle off of those exchanges. But when it was just standing, a lot of it was, you know, him trying to actually stand up and punch with Masvidal and set traps for Masvidal. That's the other thing you see, right? Because of the feints and because of the fake level changes, you realize that Masvidal is always conscious of the threat of the wrestling. Not necessarily understanding that, hey, we're, you know, we're not wrestling. Like this guy didn't come to wrestle. But just the feints and the idea that it was possible uh, gave Kamaru a huge advantage in the standing. Same with, again, feelings of Khabib, you know. And so, you know, just just by the second round, 
the finish was an incredible finish. You know, if you watch it again, the way he kind of holds on, he, he, he sets it up first, makes it look like he's setting up a job. And then, you know, just there was nothing in the way. You know, I don't think Masvidal saw it coming at all. And so, you know, he was able to finish him. Um, and even by the time he goes down, you can see he's already out. But once he's on the ground, Kamaru goes for the hammer fist and then you see him pass out. And I, I feel like this is one of those things where, you know, you're watching a superstar. You're watching the evolution. You're watching somebody not only get better, but rise, right? Like a lot of times when you fight somebody and you beat them and you beat them in spectacular fashion, you take that rub off of them, right? If you remember like Khabib, I mean, Khabib had this one before, but that corner fight really changed the level of his popularity, changed the way people looked at him. Even though he had been dominating people, it made other people reimagine what was possible. And so I think Kamaru has that type of, has had that type of victory now. You know, I, I'm, I'm of Nigerian descent. I'm of Nigerian background. So I've always known about him since I've been watching UFC. Like the Nigerians who've been in, I've always been, you know, especially uh, interested in their journeys. And just to see, you know, him or Israel or Super Sadiq or Mean Hakim or, you know, name any one of these guys, you know. Um, and so for me, I, it's always it was always hard for me to gauge how other people felt because I felt like when I was watching Kamaru, I was watching excellence, you know, and he's always gotten better. Like I remember watching the Tyron Woodley fight and wondering, you know, is he going to be able to do to Woodley what he does to other people? And that was just five rounds of domination, you know. And then the Kobe Covington fight, you could see him get better. And then the Masvidal fight, you thought, okay, you know, not his best performance. But then the Gilbert Burns fight, all standing, you know, shaky first round or shaky first half of the first round. And he comes out and finishes him. And that was somebody who was supposed to give him his sternest test. And then you see him do this to Masvidal. And so you can just see the ascendancy. You know, um, I think Kobe is the one that can give him any kind of problems. But I also don't know if Kobe is the next one that he should be facing. Um, I'll come to that in a different spot on the podcast. But for right now, incredible performance. Um, you know, really the, the whole card, top to bottom, best card this year for sure. And maybe the best card I've watched in a while. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. Um so great night of fights. Start uh, finishing obviously with this one. It'll be very interesting to see who Kamaru fights next, and I'll give some of my thoughts on that coming up shortly. Next up, I'm going to cover the co-main event, which was the champion um, Zhang Weili fighting former champion Rose Nama Yunus, aka Thug Rose. Um, I was really looking forward to this fight. In fact, honestly, the three title fight I was really looking forward to. Um, I'll get to Valentina versus Andrade, and I, I I did a I watched a, a number of their fights leading up to this. And to be very honest, I wasn't one of those people who thought this would be a, a, a close fight. I, I thought that there was always a danger because we hadn't seen Andrade 
um, you know, at at this weight. We've seen her before, but in, in the fight that we saw, you know, against her, I think it was Trugagan, she was devastating. But anyway, I'll get to that fight in a second. Let me start with the Rose Dama Yunus versus um, Zhang Weili fight that happened. So that was a co-main event. Coming into this fight, this was one of my favorite fights. This is one of the fights I'd been looking forward to since last year, really since uh, Zhang Weili fought Joanna and then Rose fought Andrade. I was looking forward to this fight being made. Um, I thought these were going to be the two best women in the division and would go at it. And I was expecting that it would be a little longer. I thought if the fight went longer, based on what we had seen in Rose's last fight with Andrade, where she was fading towards the end, um, you know, I thought if the fight went longer, then um, Zhang Weili looked like she might be able, I, I thought I would favor her. Only because in the Joanna fight, if you remember, she started off slow, but she was able to pick up the pace and she was able to finish strong and win some of the latter rounds to get her, you know, the decision in that fight. So I thought, you know, Rose usually starts really fast, but I nothing could have prepared me for how, you know, how this fight went. Um, we could see obviously very early on that Rose was implementing a lot of leg kicks. So it looks like she wanted to slow down. Uh, sorry, uh, Zhang Weili was implementing a lot of leg kicks it looks like she wanted to slow down rose to make sure that you know again in those later rounds the mobility is an issue because rose's style is constant movement constant movement she's so fluid you know she has a pretty long reach for the division and she has incredible dexterity as far as kicks are concerned they come from every angle they come you know they, they they're not telegraphed right she doesn't have to set them up too too much she uses the movement to set them up because you can't tell because she's always bouncing it's hard to see where the kick is coming from and where it's going to land right so um you know early on i expected that she might have the advantage as jango Ali tried to catch up and, and find her rhythm in the fight uh but you know we never got to see any of that right because very early on early on in the fight rose um, you know, she she almost walks into the kick like she's normally you kind of stamp the leg and use that as a pivot for the other leg that's coming through, you know, uh, but she came forward on the leg and then the same leg she taps, she just, you know, launches that. And you could see when you watch the replay that uh, Zhang Weili thought that it was going to be a leg kick because she moves back. She almost like, you know, she moves back like thinking, okay, let me get my legs out of the way. And it obviously ends up being a head kick. It hits honestly so clean. You know, it's like the whole jawline, like perfectly placed. And to be very honest with you, just the ease of the kick. Like when you watch it again, you understand it wasn't a kick where it was like ferocious. Like I'm going to try to take your head off. It was just incredible technique and incredible placement hit her and even you could see like soon as it hits she's almost out she falls back you, and again you can tell that that's the case because you fall back with almost no safety net you're not trying to catch your fall your legs just give out underneath you and then she tries to brace herself you know and then rose goes in finishes her incredible stoppage in my opinion by the ref i know Zhang Weili was upset about the stoppage, but I think she's going to watch it again and going to see that 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 she was out. There was 
there was no way she could have continued in that fight. So, um, in this one, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to see enough. I think you. It's hard for me to say we didn't get to see enough because again, Rose showed showed that this is who she is. You know, at the beginning of the fight, when they're calling the announcement, you can see her saying to herself, "I'm the best. I'm the best." I'm the best. And at the end of the fight, when Joe Rogan is talking to her, he's like, she's like, yeah, I am the best, you know? And, and in some ways it's so true because when you watch her, like you watch the two fights against Joanna, the first one was not even competitive. The second one was more competitive, but she still showed that she was better. Right. And she looks unassuming. She's not necessarily going to do this back and forth with you. And I, so I think it's easy for people to almost take that for, not being a cold-blooded killer or not being this person, but she is incredible. Like when you look at her and you look at Zhang Weili, you think, oh, Zhang Weili looks more like a fighter. And I'm not talking about physically, just the way she carries herself. She looks more like, you know, more like she has, she exudes more confidence, let me put it that way. And so, you know, I, I think, again, it's always hard. It's always easy to kind of underestimate Rose, but She's shown that she's a handful for everybody. She's beaten Adraj, who also beat her. She beat Joanna twice, and now she's beating Zhang Weili. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if and when and where really, I'm really crossing my fingers that Tatiana Suarez comes back because I think she'll give a lot of people problems as well. But in the meantime, I think, you know, we're, we're probably going to see a rematch just because of how quickly this went. Normally, you would say that when it goes that quickly, um, it should be, you know, maybe you take some time and then you do a different fight because the other person got start so convincingly. And again, when you watch it, you can see that it was a setup. It wasn't a lucky kick. It was a setup because even Willie is 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 going is thinking it's going low and it's kind of defending a leg kick, and that's what makes it catch her so clean as well, right? So it's because she wasn't defending her face at all. So I still would like to see a rematch only because um, we didn't get to see enough. I would have liked to see the, the fight play out a little bit more. And maybe this is how it always plays out. But, you know, let, let me see that as well. Right. So um, I think we'll probably have a rematch. I don't know if it should be the next fight. There's no obvious person. You know, Joanna is the only other person and she's lost to Rose twice. So. I don't know what the value of a third. I think they will fight a third time. I just don't know if I need to see it right now. Um, I do think the way Wei Li got knocked out and just knowing the last fight she was in against Joanna, I definitely think she should take some time. Even with Masvidal, again, we'll come to what's up, what's next for him and, and for Usman. But I, I think these guys should take time once they face these type of, you know, um, pretty bad knockouts before they step in there again to give themselves time to recover, give their brain time to recover. So great performance from Rose and we have a new champion. The last fight I'm going to cover from UFC 261 is going to be the Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade fight. Um, this is one I was looking forward to. I wasn't one of the people who thought that this was going to be a close fight. Um, people were saying, you know, I think even Rose came out and said, you know, Shevchenko hits hard, but, you know, she's 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 felt Andrade and nobody hits like Andrade. And 
you know, I just felt it was weird that people were saying that Andrade would be a problem for um, Shevchenko when Shevchenko's had two fights against Amanda Nunes, who is much bigger than she is and hits much harder than anybody we've seen, any other woman we've seen. You know, so I I couldn't understand why people thought Andrade would be a problem for uh, Shevchenko when she, you know, fought at a disadvantage against Amanda Nunes twice. And and while she lost both fights, they were extremely close fights. And I even had um, Shevchenko win in the second fight. So, you know, I, I thought this would be an opportunity for her to be able to show again some of what she's made of and why she's a champion. And, and that's what she did. You know, I've, I've barely seen anybody, I've barely seen crucifixes and to finish two people in the space of like three or four fights with two crucifixes is, is, is incredible. Um, you know, you could kind of see the setup coming, right? Like she made a note of taking her down at will. She took her down, I think six times or, or five times in the first round and maybe an additional two and broke the record. And this is how Andrade was saying that she was going to win. She didn't, she could have played the counter striking game and kind of like, you know, picked her apart, but she wasn't even doing any of that. And she was coming forward. She was being the aggressor in the fight. Um, you know, I, I think again, for me, I just don't know how you can separate Amanda Nunes and, and Valentina. I think Amanda's resume is incredible and probably the best, not even probably the best women's MMA resume of all time. Um, but just when I watch Shevchenko, just the excellence, there are no mistakes. There are no mistakes in there. And just, you know, she's she's she started finishing people as well. Like, I know against Jesse, um, Jennifer Meyer, you know, that went, that went, um, you know, to five rounds. But just in general, she's, she's been incredible at, at adding that element to her game now, where it's not just about counter striking. It's also now being the aggressor. It's like, there's no hiding place for you. If you want to attack, I will. If you want to go to wrestling, I will go there with you as well. Right. And just that that incredible um, the attitude, the excellence, the execution. Um, I, I, I think for me, she's she's easily one B. You know, I, I wouldn't say one one is one and two. I would say one A, one B as far as her and then Amanda Nunes um, for her. I, I'm honestly not sure who else they get to fight. I think there's a fight between Lauren Murphy and I think Mackenzie Dern, if I'm not mistaken. But I might be wrong about that. Um and maybe that will determine who who is going to fight Shevchenko next. But you know, I don't see I don't see any of those women looking forward to those fights, to that fight, or being able to get a result from that fight. Unfortunately. Now I'm going to talk about what's next for Kamara Usman. I'm also going to you know go into what I think is next for. Um, Masvidal as well. I'll start with Usman. So I think with Usman, the UFC already came. If you watched the fight, you you could see that Kobe Covington was there, and he had been doing interviews all week. He's been on this promo tour to try to get the fight. I would like to see Covington fight Usman again. Um, I I don't know if it's going to be dramatically different from, you know, the first fight. 
I do think we'll see more wrestling in this fight. Uh, we did not see a second of wrestling. We did not really see any clinch work. You know, it was a stand-up affair for five rounds. Um, but I, I think in this one, we'll probably see more wrestling from both of them, especially from Kobe. I don't know if he wants to stand up with this new version of, of Kamaru. And Kamaru's gas tank is undeniable. But I think Kobe is going to try to push the action this time and see if he can tire him out because that's the advantage he feels he has over everybody else. Now, you know, I think it's a different type of um, tasking or a different type of drain on your cardio when you're wrestling against another wrestler because you're going to be neutralized in most positions. So you're going to, and maybe on both sides, really, right? Like the person who's trying for the takedown, the person who's defending the takedown. Um, there's going to be a lot of technique work. There's going to be a lot of stalemates and just hanging on. So I feel like Kobe is going to look at it and say, even if I can't win all the positions, I can just look like the aggressor and maybe I can win rounds by doing that. So I think it will be interesting. I still expect Kamara to come out of that. Um, however, I'm not 100% convinced that that the next fight should be against Kobe. Uh, I, I think especially for the welterweight division, when this year started, the one thing I was looking forward to was getting everybody matched up. But, it, you know, we're still in a situation where Kobe Covington's only won, fought really, one fight since the fight against Usman. Usman's fought, I think, three times since then in that span. He's fought twice in the last few weeks. And so for me, it's it's like, you know, I know he said this already, but I felt this way as well, is the champion should not be the most active, you know, fighter in the division. You know, why isn't Kobe fighting? Now, Leon Edwards is going to fight Nathan Diaz. And if Nate Diaz wins that fight, I 100% expect him to be the next contender. I 100% expect Usman to call him out and say this is who he wants to fight. One, it's a easier fight for him, but that's not even why I think he will take it. I think it's just as lucrative for him to take that fight as it is for him to fight Kobe Covington at the moment. And he can make Kobe wait. He can make Kobe fight, take another fight, build himself up a little, and then fight... You know, and he can fight Nate Diaz in in that in in the meantime. So, and I think he's going to make a lot of money because Nate Diaz is extremely, extremely popular, and a lot of people they're going to build it up to make it seem like Nate Diaz has a chance. And to be honest, if Nate Diaz can beat, um, you know, Leon Edwards in his next fight, then maybe he does have a chance because I don't see him getting a win over Leon Edwards in that fight. You know, I don't know if Leon Edwards getting a win over Diaz puts him in a championship position. I think he would have to have a spectacular knockout or something. We would have to see something we haven't seen before, right? Happens in Nate Diaz for him to really get that rub. Um, so I feel like those are the two options on the table for him or the three options is either fight Kobe fight Leon Edwards, fight Nate Diaz. The most likely of those three scenarios, I think, is Kobe. Um, again, if Nate, if Nate Diaz wins, I think he gets the shot automatically. Uh, but I think the chances are that he won't win, and so Kobe is going to get the next fight. 
uh, I'll I'll be doing a breakdown for that one for sure before that fight happens the second time around. Um, but that's how I see it happening for Usman at the moment. For Masvidal, I think he's in an interesting position. I saw an interview yesterday where he was talking about fighting Nick Diaz, who's 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 coming back. I think that's an excellent choice for a fight. Um, I know the UFC. I think Dana was talking about maybe matching Nick with Kamzat. I, I just don't see that being a good fight for Nick. And in some ways, I kind of have to question what Kamza gets out of it. I think, well, I know what Kamza gets out of it. Nick is is very popular. So him beating Nick does a lot for his popularity as well. Puts him in, in, in view of a lot of people who like that type of violence. And I can see him, you know, really grinding Nick out. Almost, you know, not breaking him, but something of the like like something where there are a lot of wrestling exchanges you know maybe even jiu-jitsu where he's taking a lot of damage and we ha- we d- we haven't seen him fight in a while nick and, and so you know nobody knows what he's going to look like you know so i don't i don't want to see that i would rather see the masvidal fight i think that would be a good fight i fully expect masvidal to win but i think the way masvidal wins that fight is more stand-up Probably not even a knockout. Just kind of maybe looks similar to the Nate Diaz Masvidal fight, where he just kind of picks him apart slowly. But there's there's almost like an inevitability about the results. Um, that's that's kind of what I expect to see from from that. Um, if if Masvidal doesn't fight Nick, then I I think there's some other interesting fights for him as well. If if Nate Diaz loses, both of them could run that fight back. That could be another option for him. Um, if Leon Edwards wins, I think that could also be an option for him because Leon would have to wait for, um, Kamaru and Kobe in all likelihood, even if he wins. So he might want to take another fight in the interim. And so I think that would be a good fight for him as well. Um, so I think he has a number of options and, and it will be interesting to see. I, I still feel like Masvidal has a lot of appeal I still enjoy watching him fight. I think he's always, you always know what to expect. He's going to come ready. He's going to come, you know, with that dog in him and, and, and looking for the finish, which I like. Um, I think in his last few fights, he's done that way better than previously when he would look for stalemates. I think he's been more of an aggressor, you know, and so I, I anticipate that, you know, whatever fight we see him next, it's going to be a big fight. Um, might even be a pay-per-view headliner because I, I still think he has a lot of appeal. Um, unlikely, but maybe a cool headliner or something like that, kind of like the Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz fight, that type of fight. So I still see some big things for both of them coming up. Next, I'm going to cover a few notes, a few things from the last week or so. I'm going to start with Jake Paul. Um he was in a fight against Ben Askren, I think, almost two weeks ago now, right? two weekends ago anyway. Um, you know, a fight that I watched, you know, and I enjoyed. And, you know, the production and stuff like that, you know, left a little to be desired. But as far as the entertainment value, you know, I'm pretty entertained. And I must tell you, honestly, I'm, I don't... I'm not one of these people who's angry at Jake Paul, right? Like a lot of people are like, oh, somebody needs to shut him up. And I just, I don't understand where the anger comes from. For me, you know, this is 
the entertainment business. I'm not a purist. Like I enjoy what these guys do. I understand what fighting means more than just the violence, like the preparation that goes in, the focus, you know, all the things that go into make sure that these guys can perform. And I understand that maybe Jake Paul doesn't represent it. He's not that inspiring, whatever. But I also feel like the popularity that he's been able to get for the fights that he's been in are as much a reflection on us as they are on him as well. More so on us than him, right? Because he's popular and we're the ones who make him popular, the, the viewing public, right? Like he's not fighting real fighters and somehow it's still appealing. You know, like the whole of this week, if you look at the news cycle, in a week after he fought, he was at the UFC event. You had Cormier going up to him. You had so many UFC fighters talking about they'll fight him. Yesterday, I'm recording this on Tuesday, the Monday, the Tuesday after the Kamara fight. You know, he and Kamara are going back and forth. He's going back and forth with literally every, like, the top UFC guys. And it's like everybody's talking and so angry. And Daniel Comey is talking about legacy. I won't let a kid. Are you kidding me? Like, a kid? You know, a young internet troll is who's doing all of this, is getting you guys this upset. Like, you know, I'm just happy that, you know, I feel like, and, and you know, a lot of people want to get and keep people's attention and somehow we downplay that that skill is not something that most people possess. And so what we're watching with someone like this, whether or not he's a troll and whether or not you like this fighting or you like what it's about, you know, as long as people are talking about it, it's working for him, you know. And on top of that, again, the fight with Ben Naskrin you're entertained. You know what I mean? Like, even if you watched it because you thought Ben would win or lose or knock him out or, you know, ultimately you go in with a narrative and you can laugh about it. You have to laugh about it. You can't be serious about it or you won't enjoy it. And and I, I don't know how long this stuff is going to last, but as long as it does, I, I will enjoy it. So those are my thoughts on Jake Paul. Next, I'm going to cover John Jones. Um, this week, some news came out, you know, saying that John has parted ways with his longtime uh, manager's first round. I think it's first round, first round entertainment or management, uh, the Cower Brothers. And so those, these guys have been with him for, I think, 11 years, so a pretty long time. And he's, you know, uh, Further statements came out saying that John had been negotiating on his own behalf in the recent talks with the fight against Francis. I don't know how this affects whether or not that fight happens. I, I still think that fight is going to happen. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what updates come from this. Um, Dana made some comments last week saying John was asking for about $30 million to fight Francis. And John's come out to say that's not what he was asking for. He's asking for much less than that. So we'll see how this affects it. It does look like the UFC is moving on. Dana said that, you know, moving on to schedule the Francis versus Derek Lewis fight. Um, I'm not sure why that would be their first option, but, you know, um, we'll, we'll see how we'll see how all of this plays out. Uh, and hopefully we still get that John versus Francis and Ghanu fight. We also had some news about Connor. So the Connor versus... 
Dustin Poirier fight has now been booked officially. And further to that, you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be all that lovey-dovey from the first, from the, sorry, not the first, for the second fight. So this is the the, the trilogy. Um, leading up to the second fight, Connor was really mushy, you know, really, really good with um, talking about, you know, everything that Dustin does. It was a lot, like a huge love fest, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case in this fight it looks like you know things have gotten off to a, a a bad start let's say you know there's a little bit of bad blood already with dustin talking about connor now making the promised donation to his foundation uh and then connor actually recently making a donation to the boys and girls club in louisiana so interesting build up i'm really looking forward to that fight uh the third one i don't know if it's as simple as Connor fixes the leg kicks and he's going to be fine. Uh, you could see that Dustin wrestled at the start of the first round to try to slow Connor down. You could see that Dustin was aware of some of the counter striking and was landing his own punches even before, you know, the leg kicks or aside from the leg kicks that ended the fight. The leg kicks ended the fight, but, you know, there was also a significant punch that Connor took in, in the last exchange where he overcommitted. And then Dustin landed, a, you know, a counter that set Connor back. And that was where he really staggered. So I think the leg shots had a part to play. But I also think that those punches uh, from Dustin were adding up. And if it didn't happen, then it would, prob it would probably happen uh, at some point in that fight. So I look at this rematch and even aside from the leg kicks, I don't know if I would say Connor is my favorite. I'm going to watch the fight again. I watched it twice already, but I'm going to watch that second fight again and just see if, you know, just kind of maybe take inventory of, of the kind of success that Connor was having, and I'll do a breakdown before before the fight. But for right now, it looks like that fight has now been confirmed. It's going to happen in July in front of another full stadium, and that's another thing that I, I forgot to mention in, in the UFC 261 card this weekend as well is it was in front of a full crowd and the crowd had a different energy. You could feel, you know, your your emotions, even just watching, you know, watching it on pay-per-view, my emotions were, you know, just being like, I wouldn't even notice. You would hear like the oohs and the ahs and that would also heighten your experience watching. So, you know, I think it was decent for a while when it was quiet, but, you know, I, I didn't mind having the, the fans back in the stadium you know, um, and that's not to say anything about whether or not I think people should be congregating in large numbers at this point. But you know, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the rest of the events play out. Uh, I think you know the UFC is going to be the first of of these types where we have large crowds back, and you know, hopefully, if we're if that continues, then hopefully, I look forward to going back and watching some of these fights live. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Twitter. Um, it's Fight Flight MMA. Um, pretty active there, especially on fight days. Um, if you have any questions, if you would like to come on the pod, if you have any feedback, please reach out to engage. Um, more than happy to, you know, always engage people on MMA Twitter or otherwise, right? So 
Uh, once again, it's Fight Flight MMA on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.